Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, but I, I'll edit that bit off. It's no, no, keep it all in. Yeah. That's the bit that people like. I don't know if I've made that our heads close to the top or not this week. Um, I've welcome. Been, I've never been close to the top no. of anything. When you cross the top, look at this. Tom Johnston's actual match-worn Wakefield shirt. I don't know how many games he played last year, but he's got loads of tries this year for Catalans. He said, let's not get off to a depressing start because that's to come. Uh, because, <laughs> let's talk about that. I mean, I can't believe it's not on the front page of the... It was on the front page of the Daily Mirror. Kevin Sinfield, you were there. Sir Kevin, Lord Kevin Sinfield... His old mate, Rob Burrow, his old mucker Rob, there he is, pushing him around the streets of Leeds and carries him across the finish line at the end of the marathon. I mean, I think we've said everything that needs to be said about Kevin Tiffin, but then he does something else again and you're... The last 48 hours have summed up rugby league that we have our moment in the sun with James Roby breaking a record of appearances for St Helens with Kevin Tinterfield and Rob Burrow epitomising what we do best, but what is beyond the realms of sport. And then just as we're basking in that glory, <laughs> we get the announcement about the World Cup's not going to be in France. But I think we should take the positives first. And I've, I've not seen um, anyone as selfless as Kevin Sinfield. He played that way, but the last two years have been taking it to another level. Um, the atmosphere yesterday... Again, transcended sport, but was so rugby league. Um, you know, no other marathons begin and end within a, a stadium. Um, the fact that the course was set up so that when you ran in, um, you were coming across the pitch facing the North Stand, which is full of friends and relatives, and everyone that we saw afterwards was ridiculously emotional, which was partly because they were absolutely knackered because it's a brutal <laughs> course. But to have 12,000 people in that environment of a ground... And then to be relaying the pictures of um, what Kevin did. And I, I, don't, I don't know how far in advance that had been planned that he was going to carry Rob over the line. But I think you were pointing out earlier today that those pictures went worldwide. You know, that there isn't a media outlet in Australia, New Zealand, America, Spain, wherever, that hasn't carried that image and 
people talk radio phone-ins this morning about what it means as as a as a you know gesture of friendship. It, it's just transcends the sport, but it's the best of what we do. Um, and I think again, you know, little things like having the current Leeds team handing out medals to people as they came in. You know, having players fly in from Australia to be part of. You know, Luke Burgess and. Uh, Nick Youngquest flying in from from the other side of the world, Matt Adams, just because it was their teammates. Um, it just epitomised the best of us. There's so many tears, um, but it was wonderful. And and yeah, I think the the fact that the national news carried it as a story rather than necessarily a sporting event. Um, I, I don't think you can heap too much praise on him. And uh, everybody buys autobiography, which is out in two weeks. Where should they buy it from? Fair? Uh, well, independent retail bookshops, I think, are a, are a good place to buy. Wondered why all those books were downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> you had to climb over. No, I, I, I wish I was there when I saw some of the images. I, I, I wish I was not well there, not doing it necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I have huge respect. But you for could people. have done it. Well, the furthest I've ever run in a single distance, I think, is eight k. Uh, typically, in a game, you might be doing ten or eleven, but that's over across eighty minutes, which is fairly straightforward. But no, I, I don't have any appetite to do a, a, either a half or a full marathon, to be honest. And I, I have respect for anybody that did it. And, but I know a few people that did do it, and the conditions probably weren't the best yesterday. No. For they were probably a bit too warm. Weren't Temperature they? And, was much higher than expected. Yeah, and all the training had been done from the winter in cold yeah. weather. It was a brutal. And, I, and I looked, I looked at the route when people were uploading their Stravas because I didn't know whereabouts it was, but we had. Sort of a steady climb out of Headingley all yeah. the way up to Otley Shevin, then down into Otley and along along the river. But then you've got to climb back up Pool Bank, I guess, or somewhere along Pool yeah. Bank. Uh, so yeah, I can't imagine that was an easy course. But it, it just looked it it looked tremendously positive, didn't it? Everybody that was involved, um, and like you say, that the fact that the they picked it up as a news story, not a sports story. Um, it was it was great. We have to give a shout out to Joe. Joe. Joe did the marathon, and exhausted though he was, could barely get onto the um, the, the little um, village area where people were getting food and drink afterwards. Uh, was on his knees, but came over to say he was a, a watcher of the show. I said I'd give him a shout out because anybody who did that marathon deserves it. Absolutely, hi Joe. I, I imagine that. I know the the magazine's only just out. Here it is in in front. Of it. <laughs> The, I don't know why I'm pointing. It's on the co- on the screen in the corner. I need to pick one up. I think it's going to be very hard in the next few weeks for that not to be the image on the front of the magazine. Something something quite extraordinary is going to have to happen. Mm. I think, um, as we've said, you know, the fact that um, it was all played down. I mean, you know, it's one of the images that you could not see without wanting to burst into tears, particularly if you if you know the relationship between the two. But then you get to the point where Kevin's almost making it self-deprecating in a way, saying, oh, the only reason I carried him over the line because I didn't want him to finish before me. It's like, mm. that's what yeah. it's all about. That's it's what a sign of the bloke, isn't it? You know, it, it was the ultimate professional on the field, wasn't he? Uh, Did he never... cause you a moment of trouble? I, no, not really. He was one of those players that was difficult in a way because he would challenge in a more intelligent way. <laughs> um, so, you know, yes, potentially was a little bit more challenging in that regard, but, you know, would ne- I can't really recall um, any dissent 
Um, he probably left that to Danny Maguire. <laughs> he had others. <laughs> yeah, that would do it for him. Yeah, but um, yeah, just you know, the ultimate professional, and and I think that that's the story that's that's got people in. Uh, engaged from outside the world of rugby league, isn't it? Yeah. In, in the friendship and the the teamship, uh, as you say, people flying from the other side of the world to to do it, just tremendous. We shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it, they were saying that the combined total of money raised for all the charities that were enforced three million pounds, of which about a third of that is MND related. Yeah. And again, those are sort of figures that up until two years ago were, were unheard of in mm. that, that particular medical sphere. So. I think we're a step nearer to the Rockborough MND centre being built, which is again a great reason behind all of this. Um, and I think didn't Rob's family go and visit um, uh, Rishi Sunak uh, a few months ago to yeah. discuss the you know the fifty million the, quid the, the that was promised? Yeah, they need to go and visit the French rugby league. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing oh, we should mention yeah. as well is that uh, Lindsay's wife completed mm-hmm. her first ever marathon, and when asked why she was doing it so she felt she needed to contribute something it's like no just about everything some cakes you, or something. everything you do is contributing something but she yeah. completed the marathon as well yeah, so tremendous yeah. And, and from the city's perspective you know it's the first time they've done a marathon for 20 years yeah you know as you say they started it and finished it in the stadium I thought it made it as an event something a little bit different the course is probably a little bit more challenging than other other marathon courses so uh, you know from a city's perspective it's uh, oh, it was we, a we were speaking to people that had come up from Essex to run them I mean they were you know five hour drives back yeah. after you've just done but they wanted to be part of something yeah. and they felt it was bigger than just a marathon and, and the streets were lined and you know coming back in runners were saying there wasn't any part of the streets where we didn't get support and encouragement and, mm. and again I think for the city that must have put you know millions into cafes mm. and hotels and restaurants and bars which which is great not just that it gives the feel good factor doesn't yeah. it you know the it weather was great like people get city. out and, yeah. and be part of something that unites people um you know sort of following on from the coronation which may not unite everybody but <laughs> i was at the snooker i was watching it backstage at the snooker that was uh, that was a weird afternoon um and I think James Roby as well, whilst it's a completely different thing that we're celebrating... But it's the same kind of leadership kind of... It, yeah. In, in a di- on, on the field in a different way, of course. And I know that um, it's a record that is St Helens, but 532 games in the modern era is just ridiculous. It played in the position that he plays in, where he's getting battered every single week. And I, and I think what we forget is he was Man of Steel in 2007, when he was an impact <laughs> player coming off the bench. And to still be playing at such a high level, fifteen years later, and it's so just astonishing. Yeah, it, it is. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, he, he obviously, I don't know what the the next person in the Super League record is for appearances. Um, but it, like I say, as everybody else has said, his level of consistent performance week in week out is a is probably at worst a seven, uh, and, and and probably more like an eight or a nine most weeks. Uh, and the reality is, if he wanted to play again next year, he probably could physically. Uh, I don't suspect he will he go, says he's another, not going go another year. <laughs> um, but, you know, tremendous for the club and, and, and the sport as well, I, I think. And um be interested to see what he does post-playing. I would assume he's going to go into some sort of coaching role. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if he's cut out for that. I don't think that's something that he particularly aspires to do. Mm. But I think the most important thing is that he got the right level of acclaim that it was on Channel 4 which was great so that you know they could make a, a, a lot of it to a national audience that 
Um, again, there was the um, line of honour from both teams when he came out and when he went back. Um, the, there's interviews with him, um, you know, that, that normally a rugby league player wouldn't get if if it hadn't had that profile attached to it. Um, and again, like Kevin, you say there are similarities. It's the modesty mm. that comes over. Um, it's always about it's the team. Um, but now I, I, I think in an unprecedented era of success for those two particular clubs, where those guys have been the figurehead of both of them, it was just a wonderful weekend to celebrate mm. the best of what we are. Um, in that respect, I'm pleased St Helens got a win for him as well because it would have slightly tainted it because that would mean more to him than. You know, getting a, a glass vase or whatever it might have been, um, which is no disrespect to, to Salford in any whatsoever. But I think he deserved, you know, to, to go off the field as a winner as well as creating a landmark. Um, and I think we were allowed to bask until this afternoon in the glory of all of that. It's like it's like these, you see these people around who claim to be inspirational gurus and stuff, and all this kind of crap. You've probably got some of the books in your shop. I don't mean to not say that the books are crap, but but then you've got people like Kevin Sinfield, James Robbie, who would just... Like, I don't know if I mentioned it, but Kevin Sinfield's got a book, he's got a book in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Everyone now says, the word legend is overused. The phrase, the word legend is overused, is overused. But the word inspirational is overused, mm. but in this case. Um, Paul Francis has been on. I believe he's already started coaching at Blackbrook. So there you go. Yeah, I don't think he'll want to coach at the professional level. Mm. I think um, he's seen... Um, how much commitment that that is, and um, I think he just wants to enjoy his, his kids playing. And wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, we're, there are already a, you know Jack Sinfield's playing, but imagine if another Roby's on that horizon as well. It's, it'd be great. Um, before we get on to the World Cup, because we just mentioned amateurs and kids and stuff, this not epidemic, but there is at least two cases in the last few weeks of parents being in bother causing bother at amateur games. Well, when you were a, a young referee, younger referee, <laughs> did you ever have any, any trouble like that as you were working your way through? Yeah, that? yeah. There was one in particular. It was um, it was a game I did at Shawcross. I'd, I'd done back-to-back games, uh, which a lot of our junior referees do. Uh, and it was the last time I did back-to-back games. And my dad wasn't keen on it because, particularly on a winter's... Uh, day, which is what, when I was <laughs> refereeing, it was winter uh, rugby, and you know by the time the second game came round, you were you were pretty cold and stuff. But so it was the second of two games I had done that morning, and the the, the team uh, Rodley Rockets. I don't know if they exist anymore; uh, still exist. Uh, but yeah, I was I was basically abused during the game by by the well, spectators from Rodley. Well, hopefully they don't. Exist and then and then yeah, and then all the way back. Uh, to the changing room if you know Shawcross from the field back mm-hmm. to the changing room I was sort of harassed all the way back and I was in tears my mum was in tears she was there on one of those rare occasions when she attended because my dad couldn't be there and it was one of those moments where you questioned why you did it uh, and in fairness I had some really good support from the Shawcross club on the day and then my referee society and the local league uh, they took swift action against the club but um not all junior referees are probably able to deal with that, and many will 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 finish off the back of it. And you know, uh, the career that I ended up having, I may never have had because of that one particular day. And when you see some of the scenes, it's just terrific. Uh, I mean, I read something the other week that the they'd I think stopped uh, 
spectators at was it one particular club in the northwest mm. counties I believe um, because of um, you know a number of incidents and when you get into that stage where parents are banned from going to watch their own children from playing it's just it's just ridiculous uh, and on the occasions where I have gone and watched our junior referees refereeing you just stand sometimes in amazement um, at some of the comments that are made um, and I noticed that Warrington Referee Society this week have now issued their junior referees armbands to wear which visibly points out that they are under 18 um, and, and that's the sad thing I think the game I was doing was probably something like an under 11's game and I would have probably been 12 you know and you love adults abusing a child uh, just because there happened to be a referee, you know, does it's not an excuse to you know to hurl abuse. It's not a rugby league specific thing, though. It's happening no, in all absolutely community not. sports. Absolutely so. not. And, but, and whilst that doesn't condone anything, it, it no. is a societal problem that seems to have bizarrely got worse since lockdown. I believe so, and that, that's what I'm hearing. But uh, for me, I just think it's easy to fix. Those clubs that have have these people involved in their clubs, just get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. That just you, you, the club doesn't deserve to get a bad reputation for the actions of what will be a, a minority of people. And if you're not careful, if you don't nip it in the bud, it escalates. It's not difficult to identify them because they're no. members of your club. So, and in a number of occasions where you see now on social media where people have videoing something being said, and then as soon as that person realises it's being videoed, they stopped. Well, you know, they shouldn't be doing it in the first place, should they? Mind you, we saw a Premier League football match this weekend. Somebody come on the pitch and then run over to an opposing manager and start abusing them. It's like, if it's happening where there is a huge amount of security, mm. it's got to be self-policing at our level because totally. we don't want stewards at community games. Totally, yeah. Well, then football is pretending that... Tragedy chanting is a new thing when anyone who's been to some grounds in the past 50 years know that that's been going on forever. It needs self-policing too by the spectators, says Paul. And, and, it, and you have to... I'm, I'm not a parent, so it, it's easy for me to say this, but you have to question the fact that it doesn't reflect well on the kids either, does it? If you your mum or dad's running on the pitch causing Harry Carey. I, I just don't... I remember another game I did, I did a Kirkley service area game I think it was against Bradford and um, the Burgess brother's father was the coach and he luckily my changing room was through their dressing room so I was and I was there on my own my mum and dad couldn't make it on that day and again he helped shield me from the abuse but I mean it just shouldn't it just shouldn't happen you don't say it's only a game because it's not only a game we know that otherwise there wouldn't be podcasts and things and magazines and all this kind of stuff but I just I just no, it does seem to be a, a bit of an epidemic at the moment, which is a concern. Well, so we've got the French now, because uh, well, not the French, not not all of them. The French uh, government, the French government, who uh, uh, <laughs> have a history for uh, for ruining things for rugby league. Uh, and the latest one is the World Cup in twenty twenty five, which you may have seen today, is not happening in France. Uh, Steve Masco has been reporting on this for months, it seems, and Johnny Davidson as well, and then. Uh, and now it, it comes to pass that the French government aren't going to fund the World Cup as our wonderful government did for the last one here. And uh, now the World Cup's in limbo. Well, it's in Australia because they, they want it. But... Well, there's a board meeting of the IRL um, on Wednesday, after which there'll be a press conference, which I think will outline what options there are. Uh, you'd have to say that 
knowing the sport as we do, there is only really one. <laughs> you know, it can't be in the Northern Hemisphere anywhere other than France, um, which it now isn't going to be because we won't get the funding to have it here again three years after we last had it. Uh, and there's a, a moral case for saying, nor should we. So then it, it, it will put some pressure on um, the Australian Rugby League Commission to decide whether they financially want to support a World Cup. And you'd say that the probably best way of mitigating that would be that if there were several partners, so you could see a, a Pacific element to it, which might actually be a real boost to the game in that area. If there were some games in Samoa or Tonga or Fiji or PNG, they've got to have the stadiums that are big enough. Um, so that is a concern, because although they have some nice stadiums, whether they would be big enough to host World Cup games. There's also a broadcasting element. How easy, again, is it to get pictures back from those places? I think New Zealand, economically, would quite like to be involved. That's, again, if there's commercial considerations to enable them to, to stage it, because I don't think they can generate the sufficient funding themselves. And it's about, again, then whether you, you know Brisbane would host the final, because that is the, the capital of rugby league, as we saw with their magic round, which was sold out every day. Um, so economically, you possibly could do it at relatively short notice in the Southern Hemisphere. It's whether there is the will to do it. Um, if it's not, I, I guess the only other option is to knock it back a year. Uh, we did have a short window from what should have been 21 but became 22 to 25. We could now say, well, because we had it in 22, it becomes 26, which gives another year for. But the what, what impact does that have on the 10-year calendar that we? We haven't had. <laughs> no, what it has an impact on is the finances of the International Rugby League because the World Cup is virtually their only income generator. Um, so obviously if they are then uh, renewing their budgets to say it'll be another year before we get income in that we, we thought was, was coming, it's a, it's a massive issue. I think looking at the, the French element of it, first of all, my, my only criticism would be we seem to announce something before we had anything signed and in writing that looked overly ambitious in the first place. Mm -hmm. So we were coming off the back of a really successful World Cup in terms... We, we don't know yet financially how successful it was. But in terms of visibility, profile and the three variants being played together, it broke new ground and all of those games were negotiated to be on free-to-air television and everybody stepped back from it and said that was a real worthwhile exercise. All the players that went back from the Southern Hemisphere were, and the coaches in all the press conferences were saying, yeah, our seasons are too long, but we want to be part of this. Um, don't deny us the opportunity to for the Samoans getting to a final was massive for the nation. Um, and I think we then thought for France to say straight off the back of that, we're going to have more nations there. We're going to have an extra tournament for the youth. That Unless that's signed and sealed, you don't really say that because all you're doing is setting yourself up for a fall, which has now happened. In terms of the way the world has changed, clearly we are in an economic crisis. It was overly ambitious probably for the French nation to have a Rugby Union World Cup, an Olympics and then a Rugby League World Cup. If you're going to get squeezed financially, it's the third of those that's going to get it. You're not going to stop the Rugby Union World Cup now because it's, what, six months away? Well, we could try. Historically, they're not going to do it anyway. Um, you're not going to turn around to the Olympics and say, we can't manage it. <laughs> you're going to go to the sport that's the smallest of the three and say, I'm sorry, the funding we promised you isn't there anymore. We, as a sport, are not big enough to get alternative funding, particularly at short notice. So we sometimes have to step back and realise what we are. Um, but I just don't think the French should have should have painted such an ambitious picture before they'd signed contracts, and that does make us look 
particularly foolish, I think. Yeah, I don't think it comes as a surprise because my understanding during the last World Cup last year that was it was probably not going to happen in France. Um, and that was only rumour, but you know it's obviously come to pass to, that it has been. So I, I think you rightly say in relation to adding a fourth tournament or add dimension to the tournament, just from a logistical point of view, you know, speaking to some of the staff that were involved in the World Cup last year, logistically trying to organise three World Cups. Um, and then happening the at the same World time. Cup Absolutely. Late on as well. Yeah, and, and, and saying for them how difficult that was. Um, and, and perhaps I'm maybe doing them a disservice, but maybe less experienced at delivering uh, major events as perhaps some of the Rugby League staff have, have been in the past. Then uh, I think some of the World Cup staff uh, from from here last year were sort of surprised that France were prepared to take it to a an extra World Cup. So yeah, it can, well, one would imagine it can only be down under, can't it, of some description? But the last World Cup down under, I think, believe, if, I think if I'm right, it was played across five different time zones. So there are challenges by spreading it mm-hmm. by, to multiple nations with flights and time zones and all the logistical things that come with it uh, and whether you get government funding from places like Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Papua what's New Guinea, it, you probably don't. Is there clearly is a move behind the scenes economically to promote PNG as an NRL 18th team and that's not coming off the back of a rugby league related reason. That's because there is money being put into that region, uh, particularly from China, that they want to harness. Um, and there would be a logistical reason for making sure that the Pacific Rim remains a rugby league-centric area. So there might be some funding that we've not tapped into before mm. if there is the infrastructure. Um, my, my concern as well was that there was immediate talk of increasing the number of nations in the women's in the wheelchair from 8 to 16. Um, and eight at the time seemed the limit of what we could do. And if you were having qualifying because there were more nations, that only enhances being at a World Cup. We haven't got another eight women's nations and eight wheelchair nations as we sit here today that could have played in that 2025 World Cup. So again, it's overly ambitious, both as a game and as a hosting nation, before we'd even started. Um, Maybe we do have to leave it at the format that we had it which was successful in 2021, and try and find a way. I think it would be massive for New Zealand, who went through an awful time with COVID as a nation. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're isolated, we're cut off for two years, the Warriors couldn't play at home. It's all starting to come back a little bit. A World Cup in you know, a couple of years' time might be a real good boost for them, but they're not a nation that could generate the finance themselves. They need help with that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what the IRL say on Wednesday as to what their options are. The only bit of hope in the press release that the IRL put out after the news broke was that they are fielding um, expressions of interest for the next two World Cups as well, 2029 and 2033. It'll be very interesting to know where they're from and how serious they are, because I think the other thing we shouldn't forget is 2025 should originally have been in America. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that fell on its face yeah. because, again, there weren't enough guarantees up front before we announced it. When are we going to learn that we don't announce anything until... Well, the World Cup's only ever been, hasn't it, forgive me if I'm wrong, in France, England, UK, whatever that make-up is, and, and, and down under. Because mm-hmm. so, that's where our power yeah, is. And the last World Cup down under was PN, in PNG in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, I'm, not sh- I'm not aware of World Cup games that have taken place beyond those nations down under, so... 
it's not that they're feeling expressions of interest, but where are they feeling them yeah. from? <laughs> Can't imagine they're feeling them from any other, anything other than basically Australia and England. What would be what will be interesting is you would think that there will always be entrepreneurs that want to promote America and Canada, the, that North American block. Whether they're of sufficient magnitude to be able to pay for what we'd need, that, that's another aspect because we've seen that fall flat before. I suspect the other area that would be interested probably could be the, the, the Far East, the Middle East, where there is money to put on sporting events. And you know, the Qatar World Cup is an indication of the fact that football is not huge over there. Mm but they have money that they want to be seen to be staging major events. Now, whether they deem our World Cup to be a major event, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if expressions of interest have come in from regions where Rugby League isn't even played at the moment. So you've heard it here first, 2029 World yeah. Cup, Rugby League, Qatar. I'm, going to have, I'm, going to have I'm not sure we should endorse <laughs> Qatar. <laughs> discussions about sports washings. But what is interesting is that there are areas of the world... Mm. You know, the, the other irony, I think, at this time is that at the, the very moment that we're saying we're unsure of where the next World Cup will be, the NRL are in Las Vegas negotiating the opening round of the 2024 season to be in Sin City, and they're talking about... Um, allying it to other sporting events that weekend, so to have boxing, to have the UFC, to have the opening round of the, the NRL with all the various celebrities that we have in, well, both of them, that we have in Hollywood. Um, you know, so it would be South against Manly. The and, um, there's, oh, you're asking me film star names, I don't know. Who, who's the guy who's the number one season to go? Oh, Manly. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Hugh Jackman, so Manly against... South Sydney, so that you yeah. can get the various celebrity. So all of that, we're, go, we're we're taking club games to America at the same time as we can't stage a World <laughs> Cup. It's it's typical rugby league. I mean, at least we won't have the head of the IRL moaning that uh, the broadcasters in Europe aren't going to pay as much money as they want as FIFA are doing at the moment for the Women's Football World Cup, which is coming to Australia and New Zealand this this uh, summer. Because we know that, of course, all the money for broadcasting is going to be completely in Australia and New Zealand and uh, we'll, we'll play whenever they want, which is fine. We'll the the, on, the only other USPs that we've got at the moment are women's and wheelchair. Because I think the, the standard of NRL women is really high. So by the time 2025 comes around and some of our players have played in the competition, we become slightly better being England... New Zealand, obviously, the, most of their top players play in that competition. So that the group game between Australia and New Zealand, not the final, was was as good a game of women's rugby league as you could see. Um, not everybody likes women's rugby league, but there is a huge market for it, both in terms of broadcasting and sponsorship. And wheelchair, you know, I, I know we're all devotees of wheelchair and bang on about it endlessly, but that is a USP, the, mm. the, the horrible rugby union version of Murder Ball that was on Channel 4 the other week. It, it isn't... Seen to be. Doesn't look like rugby. rugby no, union, exactly. And that's, and that's rubbish. So I reckon that those two bolted on to a men's World Cup do actually give us something in terms of commercial potential. And you're talking about in the Southern Hemisphere where the women's is big and high profile. The wheelchair's only just started. Um, it could. It could. Well, I mean, I wonder if the Australians could convince a former Golden Boot winner to pull on there. Green and gold jersey is... Well, the the first training session has taken place in Auckland. Um, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before, um, which has been held, I think, under the auspices of New Zealand Warriors. But they're trying to get people like Tawera Nikau involved, who clearly is 
mm-hmm. eligible as a disabled player. But if he got involved, and there are other players, um, he's he's doing a documentary series at the moment about getting some old, older New Zealand players fit to play against a veteran Australian team. But there are people involved in that, like Shantane Harper, who had to give up because of concussion-related problems, mm-hmm. who could play wheelchair. Um, now, again, if we're saying there's a chance of the World Cup being over there in two or three years and those people could be involved in promoting wheelchair rugby league and maybe playing for New Zealand, there would be a groundswell of public support for that. So it, it's not the end of the world, but it is on the back of the positives of this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been kicking the guts. Again, going back to where World Cups have previously been held, it would ordinarily be the turn of down under to host it. I appreciate it's short notice now, but... Um, well, you don't need to build any stadium, that's the thing, is it? It's all, all the infrastructure is there. It's just I, I, I think this, again, is where IMG come into it, because it's not about what IMG are doing for the domestic game here, and we're seeing what they're trying to do, and, and it's, it might be taking a bit longer than we would like, but they're obviously having an impact. They're, they're not going to stop over the next, what's it, 10 years of, that are left of their agreement. But the one thing they do have is television right negotiation, and, and they do have some of that in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, if they can be involved and can pull off a couple of television deals, then suddenly the pressure's off and it's it's easier to arrange. But again, sat in a studio here, 12,000 miles away, that's a very easy thing to say, isn't it? But, well, we'll just toast it on the Segucio pitch. We're talking of television rights, the EFL have now agreed mm. their deal. So £7 billion. Pounds. Was it £900 million? Pounds, million. Yeah, tremendous increase in their, in their last deal. But, so... I think it's copper that's left in the pocket. <laughs> for, for they're, they're showing what is it? A thousand over a thousand games. Is there any schedule left for anything? Yeah, I, um, I think a lot of that's going to be streamed, isn't it? Which is where we need to work mm-hmm. out what our streaming plan was. There anything on our league this weekend? There was loads of rugby on, wasn't there? But I think there, was, there was nothing free. The was women's nine. No, no, no. no I, I, I don't know. I, don't think, I, mean, I didn't I was, see anything. I, I didn't see promoters on there, so I assume it wasn't. But I don't know. Johnny says we've never had a night, so Kev, it has to happen. Well, write, write, write your letter into the honest. How do we know if he may have turned it down? Yeah. You don't know. Well, so Lindsay Hoyle was interviewed this week. I heard him being interviewed, and he was saying that he's lobbying uh, for that to he's happen. He's got to fill in the forms. Does he not know the rules? But it, it can, it's, it, this has to be a three-year oh. gap from yes. one on to the next. So I think, I think, reading between the lines, the next opportunity that he that. He's eligible to receive an award. I'm sure he'll he'll get it. And I think he would accept on behalf of the MND Association in yeah. Leeds Hospital Charity. He wouldn't if it was just down to him. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. But yeah. So is it goalkeeping? No, it's because he's involved in rugby union now. He's yeah. bound to get it. Head by Luke Donald. As I said, it was that was that was the best game I've ever seen. I, I, that was the best game I've ever seen. Leeds and Cast twenty old loved it. Um, is that all the other news that isn't um, things on the field? There's a fair bit there. I think mean, anything else that's happened. That I mean, we, we obviously since we had two weeks off, thanks to a the workers, the proletariat, maybe b the hypoloi. No, the hypoloi. No, no, the, the, the other one. The, yeah. yeah, that's the other proletariat. The other ones. I, I went to school in Wakefield. any of this stuff. Kings the, ruling, the ruling class. Them, the elites, as opposed to the working. The, class. the actual elites, as, the, as opposed to the made-up elites. Um, because of course you got the big hat so that was good um, we haven't been on for two weeks but we were at England France that was good it was a thing you know the, again I think that's one was. of the ones that said it was better in the stadium than yeah. it was probably as a televisual event because 
the main thing you got was the amount of time the women and the men's teams were out signing autographs. Mm. In fact, they both had to be pulled in because uh, there were so many kids that wanted selfies. And that's what we are about. So whether the games were overly competitive or not, the audience that was there really enjoyed it. it was a, there was a good atmosphere. Sean went to his press conference, came back out and did selfies and stuff, which in the time it took the coaches to come out on Thursday through a press conference. Um, but the women's uh, players had to be... Mm almost hauled off the sidelines so that the men's game could start and I think some of the men's players that were still out there were told to get in and do some media before they'd finished doing all the, the autographs so yeah I think uh, forget the results I don't think it told us anything that we didn't already know but it wasn't uh, as damning an occasion as some people said it were just looking at the score it's a wonderful cake but uh, Warrington there was some wonderful yeah, cake Warrington, Warrington's venue was everything that we said beforehand it would be so meh um, and, and it t- takes us back to you because now the uh, test series against Tonga has been announced and I hope it doesn't turn into a Sam Tongan's testimonial series as some suggest it should be because we should be looking forward to the World Cup in 2025 brackets wherever that is being held um, but Huddersfield leads St Helens well St Helens is the obvious one obviously because Tonga Christian Wolf, they're, they're there what's his name Conrad Hurrell Leeds Leeds centre of the universe Huddersfield, no. I, I know it's. Why is it keeping money in rugby league? Huddersfield Giants don't own the stadium, do they? No, Kirk Lee's on the stadium. So, so you can't use that excuse that we say, oh, we're playing Warrington, we're giving money back to rugby league. I think it's economic. I think it's solely economic. That mm. They've worked out the finances and what they're going to have to guarantee Tonga. Um, and they've said, well, I'd rather go for three grounds of around about twenty to 25,000 that we will definitely sell out. There's, there's guaranteed income there. Nobody can say that uh, either the prices were too high or it was too difficult to get to a venue. So we want 60,000 people across those three. And if we get them, we've, we've had a financially successful series. That does limit your ambition a little bit. I think there were a lot of people that said, you know, really we need to take a game to London if we're serious about, um, you know, is the capital important to the sport? You don't necessarily have to take it to the Emirates or Tottenham Hotspur. You could have taken it to Brentford, for example, which is, a, again, a similar size stadium, but you've got some kind of maybe residual legacy. The fact that you know the Antipodean population is around that part of London, they would have supported it. Um, we saw that the Samoans at, at Arsenal weren't in huge number, but they're incredibly passionate, so the Tongans would have been similar. Um, so is that a lack of ambition? Possibly. Um, I, I, I think we said before it was announced that I personally might have taken a game to Middlesbrough um, I know that's a bigger stadium but that's where the Tongans were based so they did quite a lot of development work around the North East it's only an hour away from traditionally where we are it's near enough to Newcastle to say there's a bit of legacy from a magic weekend and it's a new stadium for a lot of people who wouldn't have been there so your traditional rugby league family said oh if I only ever go to Middlesbrough once I'll go um, See the big but, bridge go to the rugby. But I and, and, and you know that's not a bad place to have a night out. Either. I just think that again we went for the conservative option, and mm. you can see why. But Palmers, um, Rotherham, Derby, another one I thought of. Not Milton Keynes, blah blah. All these. They are where they are now, anyway. So it's we'll see what happens in twenty twenty four. Whatever going on. But I think what it does do it does put pressure on. To sell those stadiums mm. out, doesn't it? I, I look, and it's up to the rugby league public. You've got to get behind it. So mm. it's easy for people to criticise. Oh, well, they should have gone to London. 
or Met Street value tickets and go because actually when I looked at the ticket prices they're reasonably priced and I think especially you can, to go to all three well, it's actually quite that's cheap. what I was just going to say you can get a ticket to all three for 60 quid I think mm-hmm. which I think is well really good value uh, and as you say they're all accessible within you know an hour an hour and a half drive so there's no reason why people shouldn't go to all three um, if you're buying a ticket so to some extent the, the expectation is that they do sell them out I don't know what Headingley holds these days 20, 20. 20. Yeah, just short twenty. So yeah, like you said, sixty thousand maybe is what they're probably looking at. Um, I, I, I'm just disappointed because I think it, I think it is a lack of ambition really, and I think they should have pushed the envelope a little bit on on that middle option with Huddersfield. I think you've got St Helens and Leeds as your bankers, and then you sort of not rolling the dice. But I think I think I think there just has to be a game in London for me. Mm. Uh, simple as that. And if you and I get the argument that if you're going to take it somewhere else, you may take it to Newcastle. And Newcastle probably is too big at St James's Park. You're not going to take it to Kingston Park probably. So then well, that's too small. Yeah. And so for me, it just has to be in London. Well, there, but was, there was a test match between England and New Zealand at Queens Park Rangers that sold out about twenty three thousand. Mm. Brentford now on their new community stadium with easy access links. But the, you know, the, the argument is that when we've gone to the Emirates, when we go to Wembley, X number, X percentage is sold to people in London. Why can't we tap into that, people? I mean, if we're only needing, for example, 20,000 people in the stadium, we're not needing to fill the Emirates. We're not needing 50, 40, even 40,000 people, are we? Um, I think so you need a bigger marketing budget because the thing about Huddersfield is you've got a club there that can help you sell it. You've got a, a stadium that people are going to maybe once or twice a year anyway, so they know it. Whereas if you go to Brentford, you're going to have to spend a little bit more money telling people. But don't you speculate? Yeah, and, and, and we don't know what the you know the cost of hiring a stadium is. Whether it is more expensive to hire a stadium yeah. in London, or even if it's um, available on that weekend yeah, because of football, because because of the football, and and you know, you're factoring in travel from the north and the cost of living crisis, etc. I get the arguments for keeping it conservative, but I, I just think it's disappointing. I'm I was thinking to talk sport the other night. Uh, Paul Ross's programme. We have Martin Cameron, right? He's talking about his book. Doesn't talk about it enough. Um, and um, on one of the adverts on this commercial radio station was for the the Rugby Union Premiership semi-finals. Not not, not a promo for Sky uh, for Fox Sports stories, but actual come buy tickets to go see Sale Sharks. You remember them? So advertising can be done. Um, uh, yeah, I think that will have helped. Between been, the morning, that will have been helped. That I think aren't Talk Sport commentating on those games but it, so. but it was it was well, why don't we uh, well maybe we'll part of the radio rights will go to commercial radio yeah. and then part of that deal will be a level of advertising around it but again we, we talked about before about the legacy of the World Cup so the legacy of the World Cup is what just yeah and I appreciate it was a, ba- a fairly northern based tournament again mm-hmm. because of government finance that it was about um, the northern powerhouse not levelling up it was yeah they're not levelling up yeah but you know we did have one game in London, was it, in the World Cup? But I, I still think we should have had a game in London. Mm-hmm. So. I, I think so. Because, you, you know, what we do know is there is a ready-made market down there if we can tap into it. Mm. But, what, what you know, what London Broncos are doing almost single-handedly, whether they're doing it good, bad or indifferently, they are part of the family. London Scholars as well, to a slightly lesser extent. If we're not going to support what they're doing, no, no, and if IMG were to, 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 to rate the allocations of the grounds based on their specification, <laughs> yeah. the RFL perhaps wouldn't score that well on no. um, catchment area, would they? Absolutely not. Uh, Good point. Could play at Bradford. You're on the stadium. Um, we'll talk about Bradford in a second. Do, do we, we have, have to? Do we know how much a weekend sales are going? 
not mentioned. It it's won't not been be, mentioned. It won't, it won't be mentioned. Well, there's three quarters of the clubs don't give their attendance figures anymore. So. No, just, we, just we, we come off a weekend where um, it was a sellout at Wembley, apparently, for the Women's Cup final. But they had 77,000 there, which is a world record, which is, is a great achievement and, and would sound better if they hadn't made a big song and dance about it selling out. And talking um, of women's games, there was on the same weekend as the England-France game, there was England-France women, wasn't there, at mm-hmm. Twickenham? In, in front of a record crowd of what was it 60,000 60, yeah, 60, yeah, yeah. yeah but then that had something riding on it that was the well, yeah, and I get come on, decide. I, the players won the mid-season international trophy which didn't have a name but yeah. no it was an unfortunate comparison it was but, but also but as IMG has said that the, this England-France mid-season fixture is here to stay yeah and, and that's part of their plan to have as a regular mid-season mm-hmm. fixture but for me the game has to be well at least alter- alternating between France and, and England and ideally it should at this moment in time other than what's happened today with the World Cup always be in France because mm. I think you can guarantee that international rugby league gets an audience way beyond club rugby league mm. over there and it gives the England coach the opportunity to actually take the squad and see what they're like in a touring environment yeah. and you think you'd probably get a bigger crowd anyway in France yeah, you would. than you would in the UK if Paul asks why, why don't clubs give attendances anymore I don't know they always have and now they stop I would have thought the uh, VAT inspector would have needed to know this is a conspiracy in the other days it was always lower than you thought the IMG scoring you need to give they'll they'll need access to their their attendance figures IMG ball uh, we're looking forward to that rebranding is that what it's going to be called now the IMG (laughs) ball super (laughs) new new big trophy Um, Craig Lingard he's he's off to Cass well I tell you what you know, I mean, obviously, I support the team that's rock bottom. Have we still got less points than London Scholars? Let's have a look. London Scholars, 126. Wayfield, 77. Um, but I say, as, as I, mean, I wouldn't say Wayfield is toxic at the moment. People saying you're not fit to wear the shirt. I'll go, that's, that's fine. That's fine. But I'll tell you what, Castleford, man, a lot, talk about toxic. They're fans on the internet and the social media. They only want Andy last out. He's only been in there two minutes. Lingard in, they're saying now. But <laughs> there he is. With his flip flops and his daft hat, Batley beating Toulouse at the weekend. Was that two wins? Two wins in the space of five days or whatever for Batley. And uh, here they two are. Two games in two days against French opposition. There you go. And, and here he is. He's now the assistant coach of Castleford. Now their head coach next year, apparently, if the, if the fans have it their way in the Championship, because I think Wayford are going to finish above them. But um, <laughs> it's. Um, Why do they think Wayford are going to get three wins for? Castleford. <laughs> I don't know how many times enough times. No. <laughs> we'll get one from some Huddersfield they're rubbish now we'll talk about them in a minute but Castle, Castleford they're, I don't know if the, the pressure has got to their fans because Wakefield stand is actually happening now and <laughs> you can see it but and I'm not taking any pleasure in this I mean, it's, it's doesn't sound like it no <laughs> I'm really not laughing look at the league table <laughs> they're going down <laughs> the man said on the telly but they're not happy at Castleford, and, and no, but I think you can understand it, can't yeah. you? You know, I mean, they, they have, have a good is... squad on paper. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think, you know, Andy Lassab obviously was appointed, but in, in strange circumstances, really, because no one would have anticipated Lee Radford would have left after what two or three games, and then they're left in the position of do we jump ship entirely here and and basically get rid of everything that we've got in place and start again? Mid, well, not even mid-season. So I think for which there is a cost. Absolutely, and I, I think that they're in a very difficult position. The, the Castleford board, I, I think, to some extent, probably having Wakefield in the competition helps them <laughs> uh, at the moment. Um, but look, 
he's got to put his own stamp on it and, and, and people I think have just got to be patient and that's difficult in, in this day and age I get that because everybody's calling for everybody's head aren't they you know at half time people were saying in the Wigan Leeds game everybody yeah. wanted Rowan Smith out <laughs> yeah. and then by the end of the game he was he was next on the, the honours list so you know it, it can change very quickly as we discussed the other week with Hull so well, I think they've just got to stick patient and, and, and if it doesn't improve much then they've just got to hope that, that Wakefield don't pick up the wins to get past them. I think there has been an issue with recruitment at Cass um, because I think they've got quite an ageing squad um, and that was always going to need an overhaul at some stage and it was who was going to do it and when were you going to do it. I think Andy last was some of the players that he's been linked with is starting to do that but again it's about the amount of money you've got to spend mm-hmm. um, and if you've got to change a lot of your squad you're not going to tie up money in big-name players early on and then find that you've got no depth. Um, and more, more I think, for Castleford at the moment, it's just that they're, they're not playing a style of rugby that is associated historically with the way Castleford fans like to see their team play. Um, the, there was an over-reliance, perhaps, under Lee Radford of going for size and power, which is very much in the image of the team he had at Hull. Um, if Andy Lassie's going to change that, that's going to take a little while. Um, with again a salary cap and a contract system not as easy as it used to be uh, Craig Lingard is, is an interesting appointment I think to his absolute credit um, he stay, he's staying and wanted mm. to finish a job that he started at Batley this year and has negotiated that the remainder of this season he's on dual reg um, <laughs> because he wants to take Batley to Wembley more than anything they've, they've never been there and they're, they're 80 minutes away in the 1895 and I think that on the back of it, he's got to a grand final and he makes the playoffs every year. If he was to take them to Wembley as well, I think he would acknowledge that there's not a lot more he could do no, at Batley. There's a ceiling there, isn't there? Mm. There's only so much you can do. And as an ambitious guy, which we know he is, he wants an opportunity to coach at the highest level he can. So you can see why he's taken it. But I think one of the remits he's been given as well is to identify championship players that could play at a higher level, um, which again might be the way Casco about their mm. rebuild at the moment. Uh, which would make economic sense. Yeah, if you work into a tighter budget, then it's obvious, isn't it? So you can see why that partnership of Last and Lingard probably is the yeah. way they should be Produce going. Produce your own that. players because they're cheaper yeah. and, and look at the championship. And if you haven't got a Derek Bobo, for example, able to write check after check after check, then there's not much you can do. It's but it's, it's really interesting, again, about some of the... Pl- now we've passed May the 1st, everyone who is off contract is available to negotiate. So we are looking at some players at certain clubs and, mm. you know, we... Take two examples, Owen Trout and Sam Walters, who are good young kids at the clubs that they're at at the moment where fans want them to stay. But the value that they are to other clubs is greater than the value they can possibly be to the club that they're at at the moment. Mm. You can't hold on to them under a, in a salary cap system because both of those players um, who are not the first name on the team sheet at the moment, with the, the greatest mm. respect to them, have been offered increased contracts quite significantly increased contracts at the clubs that they are at but there are other clubs that want to build it around that young player who might be losing their top end players who will offer them more and the economic value then becomes more than the playing value and as a fan that's hard to see and take but it, it's mm. just the way that way things are Luke Gale Paul McShane there's the two examples that spring to mind of players who obviously came through and were part of a, a, the system that leads to could be kept on for whatever reason. Yeah, sometimes it's a playing reason, sometimes it's incremental contract mm. increases. And and you look at St Helens and Leeds who managed to keep players there that were, you know, 
above their economic value in the market because the players wanted to stay there because they were part of something that was bigger. Individually, as a young kid, you have to make a decision about your economic future. And for some, it is, I will move on and I will get paid more and I'll look after my young family. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But fans need to take a step back. And if a club is prepared to release a player because that player is being paid more money elsewhere, that's capitalism. That's a... As uh, Paul points out, fickle fans, half of the uh, Saints fans now want well or won't. I would guess they're going to win the grand final. Because um, I'm not going to back Wellington to do so. Um, is that all the news? I think that is all the news now. Well, we don't want to talk about Premier Mark, Mark Dunning got. Uh, uh, after that worldwide exhaustive search, they got rid of the coach. Uh, yeah, yeah. Doesn't make any sense, does it, when they. You would suggest, and I don't know obviously what's going on at Bradford, that. A coach is going to be hamstrung if he's been forced to play players who land at his feet on the Thursday before a game or whatever. Again, I think you've got to be an experienced coach to manage and handle that, and he, and he, and he wasn't. Um, which, again, I think you've got to question the appointment in the first place. And so, you know, was if you're going to go down that road of dual reg and, uh, you know, some overseas signings, and, and that requires a, a, a coach with a certain degree of experience. Brian Noble mentioned in the magazine, um, obviously before... A couple of coaches had had lost their jobs. That there is there is a very different imperative for somebody who is a development coach, and it's not about winning and losing. It's about bringing players and a performance coach. When it's at the elite end, and you are judged solely on eighty minutes every week, Mark Dunning and to a to a lesser extent Mark Applegarth are development coaches in their careers today. They're not yet performance coaches. Bradford needed a performance coach. Um, but they decided to appoint a development one. Tim says, the first team salary cap is a red herring. The case of Jack Croft and Isaac Shaw is an important and underreported story. The interesting thing about that story is, and I'm not speaking from a Wakefield perspective here because um, it's just a point of order in general. Should clubs be compensated for developing players? You should probably say, yeah, possibly. But, if the players generic were of use to clubs then those clubs would have paid that fee it's market value and the fact that they aren't haven't been but it, and they it's also and, and Wakefield also didn't offer them a new or whatever no, but it's also about how clubs operate the salary cap and there are some administrators who are very very good at, at you know eking every pound out of what they spend there, there are others that don't plan that far ahead and get caught with contracts that they have to honour so sometimes it's all it's always about your administration as well or giving jobs to players wives that's, uh, <laughs> that's cleaners um, the, the, the week in Super League started on Thursday at the home of Rugby League Bellevue where Matt Horton was on the pitch and, and you we, were there I was there I, the first time I've been this season I thought well, hey if I turn up they might win Wakefield 6, Hull FC 26. Didn't work. Um, some of the people saying the game was rubbish. I thought it was just boring. Wakefield haven't got any creativity whatsoever. They're not really great at defending. It's all Manny Asher's fault for not shouting and stuff, which is a nonsense argument. He leads by example as a captain in a, in a way we mentioned earlier in the programme. Um, Wakefield just aren't very good. <laughs> That's why they've lost 12 games. And Hull were better than them on the night. And it was a game of rugby league and Hull won. I don't know what else you can... 
I didn't think either. I, I, I had the game on, but it was in the background. <laughs> I, it didn't attract my attention too much. I, I, my my impression was that Hull weren't great either, no, to be honest. But they've got some defensive grit about them over yeah. the last three weeks. Yeah, I know. The, 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 and, and that was the difference. The, you can see that they're turning a corner, I think. Um, and they had enough in the tank to, to get the job done in the end fairly comfortably. In the press conference afterwards, you, I was stood there listening to Mark Applegarth. And I think I've got nothing to ask you because there's nothing I can ask you that I could have asked you last week or the week before or the week before that or five. Because talks about the effort, and I'm, I'm not going to say the players aren't putting effort in or whatever. But as some fans were saying, you're not fit to wear the shirt. There are some, the problem with I would say with Wakefield's squad comes down to recruitment. Too much money has been spent on players in the wrong positions or imports who just aren't good enough and that's why they're playing for Wakefield and and that might sound harsh but the league table after 12 games it doesn't lie after 12 games after a game it lies but after 12 games it doesn't lie those players are not good enough to play in Super League because they've scored 77 points but Luke Gales Luke Gales here yeah he's, he's here now no, I, think, I think the other thing is the danger for Wakefield is they've got a really tricky cup tie this week well, I mean, listening to again the and the trouble again, is, it's not about it's winning that cup tie. It's like if you then lose that cup tie, the other half of your season disappears overnight. I, well, I, I don't think there's the expectation that they will win, will they? they, they they've already lost at home to Lee. Yeah, sure. but I think it's if they don't win, then all their eggs are in one basket. Anyway. Yeah, uh, with with. But there's no payday down the line. There's no, you know, getting no, to I, a cup semi final. I, I think there were comments made sort of by Michael Carter this week, weren't they, about it could. Potentially be a godsend. That's the worrying thing after twelve games. That was a, the, the the leading sort of sentences prior to that were, I thought, were reasonable. But that was an odd expression. Mm. Well, preparing um, for the middle eight because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't really get what he was meaning by why. Why would it be a godsend? I don't really get why it would be a godsend. Perhaps the contracts become null and void for players yeah. that are on contract. Maybe that's why, and then you can. Those players that you're tied in on contracts that you want to get rid of, you I can get rid of without. He's very friendly with Neil Hodgill, and clearly Hulk are going down gave him a chance to almost reboot the club. Yeah. Um, and looking at where they are now, maybe he's saying it wouldn't be the end of the world if we had half the salary cap that we had to spend, if we still completed our stadium, if we got a similar level of crowds in the Championship that we'll get in Super League. Admittedly, there's a couple of games that we won't get a sell-out crowd, but we will still. And they may have success on the field, yeah, which gives and that will bring people back. Yeah. So I can see why mm. he said what he said, and he's mainly being mainly be being overly honest. But to say that after twelve games, that is almost like we hold our hands up. We expect to go down. But I think some people may have suggested pre-season with the choice of coach and some of the players saying that that was. I think it's again, it's like the World Cup, it's an economic thing. It's a decision mm. which road you want to go down. Do you cut your cloth according to your means? And at some point, that means you can't be in Super League. Is that what he's saying? Um, or have fans still got an unrealistic expectation looking at the, the squad, looking at the, you know, the, almost this admission every time that we spend less salary mm. cap? It, it's not a badge of honour. No, but I think this year, more than probably most, I think nearly every pundit had Wakefielders. Mm. to be relegated so you know probably not a surprise for Whitley fans I think the surprise that's come is that the inability to score yeah it's not that they're not they're not competing in some games are they 
I mean, the, the year that London went down, their fans got full value for money from them because they were scoring points. They were ticking off the odd um, surprise result. They got to the end of the season and they were still in it. And I think oh, if Whitefield fans three years could, ago, isn't it? Yeah, three or four years ago, if Whitefield fans could see that, yeah. it yeah. makes it a little bit more yeah. palatable. I think after twelve games to almost be saying we expect to be relegated, that mm. that would be the um, that would be the concern. I think. But well, the, the, the numbers he's wanted to turn up and watch haven't turned up even when they had vague seasons where they were on the, flirting with the playoffs in the Chris Jeffers. So. I think the IMG um, era is going to, you know, is the, 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 this, what's the, the rainbow in the, in the sky potentially for, for Wakefield, isn't it? We've just got to ask if enough people in Wakefield, in Huddersfield, in Salford care. Enough to have a. Well, I'm not sure you can blame the fans. Oh, I'm not blame the fans, but got, the people you've got who, to give not them people who turn up, but just yeah, you know, I, I I reckon it must be hard to know that at the mo- at the moment, you know, you're going to watch your team for 80 minutes. There may well be the effort there, but you're not going to score. You know, effort. Efforts are given. Efforts are given. If I'm paying 25 quid, I want to see some entertainment. I don't yeah. effort. Meh. I'll go watch the kids. You know. It's, I'll go watch the women's team. Well, I know they're putting an effort in. I know they're losing 100 nil or whatever, but at least they're trying. Yeah, I think you've got to have something you can get behind. And if it was a team full of local young kids learning yeah. their trade, then again, you can put up with that. I don't want to name names of players, because I think it's fair. No, I don't. So. I don't. So that was... Uh, well done, Hull. Hull is a... I, I suppose the only beacon of light for Wakefield and Castleford is Hull. Because three weeks ago... <laughs> we were lumping Holling. Yeah, yeah the I remember, saying, I remember saying, you know, people need to be patient. But yeah. I, I think this, I think it's different at Hull. Yeah, you know, you know, I appreciate they both got new coaches, etc. But I just sensed that you know there was an opportunity at Hull to to turn it round, which I don't see at Wakefield, if I'm honest. Um, but their performance against Wigan, because we've not been on since then, I thought it was tremendous. That you know, goal line defence, yeah. No, I mean, they were, and the they deserve to win. I, the concern sitting as, as a neutral was thinking, oh, Wigan are going to pinch this game at the end. And it would have been undeserved, really, yeah. for Wigan to win that game. Hull did deserve to win that. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't a polished performance, it wasn't a perfect performance, no. but what it showed was. It's just getting wins. Yeah, but it showed the, the man their, their desire yeah, yeah. to win, didn't yeah. it? And, 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 and whatever they'd worked on in that, that international window worked. One of the interesting things after the England-France women's game, and I can't remember which person it was who kept saying it, was trusting the process. Oh, God. And I can't remember who it was. And obviously this must be a Stuart Barrow phrase, and we know it is an Ian Watson phrase. And unfortunately the process for the Giants at the moment is not working because they are just four points above Castleford, eight points above Wakefield. But they lost again on Friday night heavily to Lee who you know again all the great to Lee and you've got to think going into that Challenge Cup game this weekend Dave Beaumont's thinking because we know what he's like he would love to walk out of Wembley in his leopard print suit for the Challenge Cup final but 30 points to 4 for Le- for the Leopards another big impressive win I, I, Huddersfield are just this what, what are they, what they what, what's going on what's happened to Huddersfield I think the, that is the case of the Overachievers beating the underachievers. Is, is I don't know if that's a fair. You know, again, don't in any way want to detract from what Leo the way Lee are playing at the moment, <laughs> which is sensational. The first half, the you know, but you look at some of the mistakes that Huddersfield are making. You know, 
Tui Lola here, who we were told consistently by Ian Watson was the best fullback in the competition, throws the ball away. I don't think he was when he said that, by the way. And I'm not putting no, no, Tui Lola here but down, I, but... One on one but, tackle. Yeah, yeah, one on one tackle that wasn't. But that that is indicative of something that isn't working well, for Huddersfield at the moment. For the me, team selection seems... Different. You know, buying Jake Connor, those of us at the beginning of the season who said, how is he going to fit in? Mm. And if you're serious about process... You're bringing in a guy who we haven't yet quite worked out, although he can do some mercurial things, what his best position is. I just wonder to what extent that that, that uh, signing was led by Ian Watson. I may be wrong. It just doesn't seem like an Ian Watson signing no, to me. And no. and there's danger. And I'm not putting this on Jake Connor, by the way. But, no, no, absolutely not. But something is not right from the outside looking in. Uh, they're not performing with and, the players they've got on the field. No. I get Theo Farge is a big loss, but you look at who they've got in terms of their squad compared oh, to put, a exactly, team yeah, like yeah, Wake, yeah. and you just go, I don't know why this is yeah. happening. But because I, it's happening every week. But I see. I think you know, elite performance. So much of it is down to mental attitude, preparation, confidence, all those aspects that go into it. None of which can't they can't really be coached. It's just how those players are managed, and I think one of the difficulties they've got at Huddersfield is that the squad is so big, with the injuries to some of the key players. It, that's obviously a challenge, but they they don't really seem to know what their their best thirteen is. That's the issue, I think. Kieran Rush made his debut with Liam Rush's um, younger brother Who this actually week. Actually, in the so World Cup was a for was Jamaica, good for yeah. And so you know that was that was pleasing to see, but from you know sure disappointing from. Um, you know the team's the, the team's perspective with the performance, but you know he start he's, he made his start at half back, but you've got Jake Connor and you've got um, Will Price who was dropped because he felt that the previous week when he'd had three yeah. creative players they didn't. I just I think you're right that he doesn't know what his best starting thirteen is, but the forwards yeah you, you think of you know. A team coached by Ian Watson, mm. it's difficult to break down. We all remember, well, you remember better than we did, the Challenge Cup final mm. last year. It took until three minutes from time for Wigan to break them down because the one thing you knew about an Ian Watson coach team is they won't give you a lot. No, the percentage, they play the percentages. And but you to know. be 30 nil down at home at half That's time to Lee, with the greatest respect to mm. Lee, that isn't a Huddersfield performance. No, which to me points to off field stuff, really, and the management of. Of the the team, the players, the set of players for me, um, and that's always going to be a challenge. I mean, uh, Paul Rudder was saying the other day that to some extent there is maybe an advantage by having a small squad yeah. because uh, players such as sort of Reese Williams, who accepts he's almost a squad player, will come in at, on the wing when somebody's injured or somebody's perhaps out of out of favour or whatever. But he almost accepts that that's his position in that squad. Whereas when you've got players that want to be playing. In their starting thirteen and can't get in the starting and in the thirteen, right position. yeah, and then they're almost they're almost having to wait for somebody to make a mistake to get in. It, it does that almost feed into that? I don't know. I, I, I'm not. There's, there's, there must be so many different reasons what that go into uh, performances, um, but I just think they are some of the aspects. But looking from the outside in, when you look at Lee and the way that they perform, they're clearly working together as yeah. a unit. Yeah, and they've they've got like great you say, they spirit. haven't got a huge squad, no. so. No, but they've got they the confidence. The best out of it. Yeah, and, and, and you know, perhaps to some extent, you know, people. I never anticipated that Lee would be fighting for relegation this year. I, I thought there would be mid to mid to lower end, but and they probably are. You're right, probably exceeding to some people's expectations. But once you get a, a win, and it breeds that confidence, doesn't it? Um, 
Huddersfield just need a win. Who do they play this week in the in the cup? Salford. Oh, which in the Ian Watson <laughs> derby. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I think Salford will be favourites, wouldn't they? Going oh, into massive. that, yeah, 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 you have to be. But I also think that the the problem for Huddersfield looks to me like they can't get a performance at the moment. It's not like they they were losing narrowly in some of the early games of this season, but the last two or three weeks they, they haven't looked on the pace no. at all. No. Um, but that's not the same issue at Hull where I think you've got a, a new coach and you, you need to find... He wants to play a certain way. You might not have the players or they might not initially have the understanding of, of it. You know, Ian Watson was there all last year and changed a lot of things at Huddersfield. So this should have been the year, having got to a cup final, that they were doing what Warrington did in the early stages of the season. They were coming out, maybe putting seven or eight wins together. Then they might have come up against the St Helens or a Wigan. That would have tested exactly where they were. Uh, you then go back and say, right, well, if we're going to beat those teams, we just need to tweak this. Actually, Huddersfield don't look anywhere near like no, Hull were. At the... But when people ask questions about coaches, then that's a more legitimate... I'm not suggesting Ian Watson should be sat by them. No, no. I don't think he should be. But when people ask the question, that will be more of a legitimate question on the basis of what you've just said, mm. in that he's been there a while, they've built and built, and they should be progressing this year, and they've clearly gone backwards, so... Um, but again, another very interesting cup tie because if half of their season disappears, the struggle now is well, it's not that much of a struggle. They're only what four points off the playoffs, yeah. but suddenly there's a massive pressure. Yeah, and they've got a game in hand, investment. haven't they? Yeah, a game in hand against the Helens. I'd appreciate that, but they but have it got is a hand. They need a return on the investment that Ken yeah. Davy has put in, particularly over the last two years, and and probably to get Ian Watson in the first place, it yeah. wouldn't have come cheap with all the staff that he brought with him. If you go out of the Challenge Cup this weekend at the first available opportunity, there is massive pressure on Huddersfield then for the yeah. going into Magic weekend. Castlewood 22, Catalans 46, 34-6 up at half-time, the Dragons. Um, I think we said all we can say about Castlewood almost, but impressive performance from, Cat- from the Catalans. It's 46 points away from home, away from home when the uh, traditional... Lazy argument is they can't win away from home, and there they are winning by 20 odd points at Castle on Friday night. I think you look at again the impression you've got of teams and the fact that Steve McNamara um, has almost had to play a squad of players that wouldn't be his first choice for some of his games this year to, to go to Castleford when you're coming out of a you know a, a, an inconsistent run. Mm. That, that's a great result, particularly a great first half. Um, I, I, I think I'm quite impressed with what Catalan are doing this yeah. year. Yeah, and I, it'd be interesting in that game because they play Warrington mm. this week in the cup. Because mm. uh, they've got something to play for, Warrington yeah. having beaten them in. Yeah, well, exactly. Easter. And uh, Warrington don't seem to be firing all cylinders at the moment. So I, I don't know whether you could call that game, to be honest. It's uh, a shame that we won't be able to see No. It. Yeah. That, that win for Warrington over Hulk in our 21 14 is very much the sign of a. A team grinding out a win because they need to get a win and they're still top of the table and just they had a little bit of a wobble but that's the kind you know two wins in a row granted you know the other one was against Wakefield but neither of them convincing no though, no uh, which is interesting because and and again I I didn't see it because we've got this ridiculous ability to put all the games on at the same time but injury to Matt Parcell turned the game um, mm. OKR started really really well twelve nil up. Um, and I think, you know, you do you do look at clubs like 
Huddersfield and where they are at the moment and Hulkar and where they are and you can see a club that's progressive and moving forward and everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet and yeah Hulkar are doing some recruitment whereby some of the guys have already been told they're not going to be there next year but they've done it openly and they've, they've done it up front and some of those guys already know where they're going to be playing next year but they seem to have this buy into what the new coach is doing and you know they're at the top end of the league and they're playing good rugby um, and you, you know I suspect that Huddersfield will feel uh, that Hulkar will feel a bit aggrieved about that result if they've lost yeah. a very influential player. Um, I don't know if the incident was penalised. Uh, well, reminds me, I, I didn't mention during the Castleford um, brief chat against Catlans how Adam Milner was nearly decapitated and got the got the green card. I think that was uh, not deemed as anything by the uh, match review panel today. Well, there was a Catalan player charged, but I'm not sure whether it. I think it was for that. Banned. I think it was for that yeah. incident. I think he's got a grade B, uh, the Catalan player. Um, what I didn't agree with though was the Castleford doctor putting the incident on Twitter. Must be taking lessons from some clubs. Does that undermine the uh, match? Is that bringing the game? Well, I just disrepute. You know, I just, I, I just don't think that's the way to deal with something. If he has a, if he has a problem with it, address it through the proper channels. I don't think you should be publishing. Did he say Incidents something about he wasn't happy with the green card? Uh, yeah, as, as, well, as a, as you know, he accepted concept. in his tweets about you know the uh, accepts that referees may or officials may miss things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I just, you know, yeah, the point about the green card was look, it was missed on field. The officials mm. missed it. It should have been a penalty clearly, and, and probably a, a yellow card. Um, but if they've missed it and a player stays down, then they have to apply the policy, which is that the game has stopped because a player is injured. Uh, and, if he, and if he's not going uh, off for a concussion assessment, he, he has to get a green card. The way Milner falls makes it look even worse, doesn't it? I'm just watching it again here over and over and over and over again. But my question would have been, well, in Super League you have the ability to review mm-hmm. footage. The doctor has the ability to review footage on non-TV games. Yeah. So if they've seen that there's been contact to the head... Well, why hasn't he gone off on a concussion assessment? Mm. In which case, a green card wouldn't need to needed no. to have been issued. So, I don't, I don't get it. The doctor who's put the tweet on there has had the footage. He's in theory should be able to make a decision at the time the game was stopped to remove him for a concussion assessment. Uh, and I'm not being funny. I have seen concussion assessments declared as concussion assessments when I would question, albeit I'm not a doctor, whether they were actually concussion. So, I, I think it's I think it's inappropriate for a you know for a doctor to be to be placing incidents like that on Twitter for you know for for the, the public jury to be making decisions on it. It's like players questioning referee decisions during televised games when they're watching and the mates have got in bother. Yeah, well, you've also have a player in response to that commenting about what he would have received as a ban. <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, Wigan and Leeds, Phil, what, 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 what was that all about? I was out, I was at the wrestling in Osset, so I missed all this. It was an uh, interesting game, game wasn't it? It was exactly the game of two halves, and I was surprised Kyle Walker, when he did the interview, didn't suggest it was a game of two halves. <laughs> uh, I, I, again, I think we, we've now seen that Zane Tessivano has got two games for, for his challenge. Um, I don't think too many people are going to argue about, about that. Well, it was rightly sent off, it was shoulder direct to head, ball had gone. It, 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 
you know, from that point of view, it, it ticks the boxes. I get that people will say, well, hang on a minute, why wasn't somebody else given yeah, the card? And you can't, it's look, not, you can't deal with... It's not what's out. What's you've got to just deal it. with what, what you've got in front of you. And on that incident, in my opinion, it was dealt with entirely correctly. I think there was some... There's a really interesting fine line between players who were told to put pressure on the kicker and when a ball has actually left. But that's immaterial to where the actual contact is. Everybody knows that you cannot hit around the head. Yeah, this was a passer, so, not a kicker, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, this incident. But but, it, but it's putting pressure on the ball player, and it's a it's a very fine margin. Uh, if you slow something down as much as you do on the television, it tends to look a little bit worse. Yeah. Um, and I think actually it wasn't it wasn't that far off it being a very very good challenge on putting pressure on Harry Smith, except that it should have been lower, and the fact that it wasn't. You pay the consequences. And, and this ultimately is why, if that game's not on TV, I'm not suggesting it wouldn't have been seen, because my view, my impression was that the on-field officials identified it immediately, yeah. Yeah. penalised it immediately, and then as part of the process, they wait for replays and the, and the opinion of the video referee, and ultimately then, as on-field officials, they make the determination of what the outcome should be. But look, going back to that Castleford game, it was clearly missed on-field. Now, if that had been on TV, the game would have been stopped at the injury yeah. and they would have dealt with that incident and he probably would have been given a yellow card. But for me, yeah, you're right, you're talking inches and that's why it's difficult for referees in live, in live play to determine whether, is he committed, yeah. yes or no, and if he's not committed, then, then it's a penalty. And then if it's a penalty, is it anything more than a penalty? And we're talking inches here yeah. between the shoulder contact and it... And it either hitting his head or otherwise but the technique has to be you hit lower yeah um, but as a game it had a, it had everything really um, yeah the quality wasn't great in the first half though was it no. Leeds couldn't keep hold of the ball there were, there were two things that kept Leeds in the game one was that the defence was pretty committed on and around their goal line although they conceded 14 points it could have been 28-0 yeah um, the other thing was Harry Newman's first interception I think that changed the game a little bit Um it gave Leeds something to cling on to, mm. and it just put a tiny little bit of doubt, I think, in in Wigan's mind. The way Leeds played with twelve players in the second half was exceptional in, in a lot of respects. All the mistakes they made in the first half, they didn't make in the second half. No, but, but they did play some great running rugby. Oh, they did. But again, does that go back to we've had a bloke sent off? We're under the pump. We're away at Wigan. We've nothing in, to lose. Yeah. Well, well they played the, the same in Catalan last year. The, yeah. There were 36 down with, and down to 12 men when Matt Pryor got sent off and won it in Golden Point yeah. extra time. They can play. Yeah. And when it sticks, they're a really entertaining team. A, a two more interceptions that were given away probably tells you something about the way Wigan are attacking mm. at the moment, a little bit flat. Yeah. Without Jai Field, yeah, um, in attack. what they have got and what was probably not made enough of because Leeds were eye-catching in the second half was how good Bevan French was. Mm. Now he was the best player on the field by a mile but it's almost like we can get to a point where they say we're coming up against a pretty solid defence give it to Bevan yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not enough I think you say in the first half for all the dominance they didn't convert it into sufficient, no, sufficient so, points some there. of which was down mm. to really committed goal yeah. line defence but no I, I just thought it would, as, as a neutral you would have watched that and thought I'd like to see those two teams again next week and Great. guess what I, yeah, oh, yeah, I can that, see those yeah, two no, teams again sense. next week yeah. Yeah, if that was the game on the BBC, uh, you know, people would have been loving it really from from you know the story of the game as it were. Disappointed for Andy, uh, whose time is as good as Zane Setabano's, because he said uh, evening, a bit late on. Sorry, hopefully I've missed a lead shot. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Mighty Pete Outlaw. So that's uh, oh, ridiculous. Not at all. Not at all. I, I have to say that again. He was he was so um, honest and magnanimous in defeat. You know, played. Uh, put the blame fairly and squarely on what his team didn't do in the second half rather than anything else. If the image of the week wasn't guaranteeing for the robber, it was the return of the Wigan Walk. It's always, <laughs> always good to see the Wigan Walk on the telly. Um, St Helens beats Salford. Another game of two halves. Again, half time, well out. Second half, no back in. Uh, the world champions winning. James Roby. Salford just made too many really serious mistakes trying to move the ball <laughs> in front of the robot. <laughs> It's like you can, against a team like St Helens, you are not going to get away with that. The, uh, it's going it's to happen maybe once a season, but Paul Rowley must have just got the video and do they have videos anymore? Thrown it in the bin yeah. and said, "Look." Mm. But I think that's the way that teams that have been successful against St Helens have tried to push the yes, ball early and push but it there wide. There is a place where. Yeah, I, to be fair, I didn't watch enough of this game um, to, to comment. I, I saw probably more of the first half, and I didn't. I don't really see any of the second half, but. Um, yeah, it was obviously a, a, a great turnaround from St Helens in that second half. And they're, they're starting to get back to what they do best. They've got Halifax on Friday. Hope there's a big crowd. On via play in the Challenge Cup. Halifax fresh off a 60-0 win at home to Whitehaven in the Championship. Uh, Batley's from early beat to lose. Obviously a great result for the Bulldogs. Yeah, like Joshua's dropped well. Mm. Uh, Bradford back to winning ways. It's the change of coach. 44-38 is on top there, I think. Yeah. I don't know how he scored, how he scored that many points on that field. <laughs> <laughs> They're all up the middle. <laughs> uh, is that why we couldn't play the international there? Because the pitch isn't big enough. <laughs> get cancelled. Um, Sheffield Eagles won at Keithley, 46-18. Does that mean Sheffield Eagles are the... Oh, anyway. Uh, London beat Barrow 30 points to 16. London York's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Come mm. this week. Six o'clock, uh, three o'clock kick-off on Sunday, sorry. Can't read. Uh, Fev won at Witness, 30 nil. Um, York 26 Newcastle 22 late drama late drama for Andrew Henderson they were a bit unlucky Newcastle there weren't they but is that three games in a row that York have won either late yeah. on or by a score I think they only just beat London at home didn't yeah. they yeah, yeah. Uh, in League 1 which was bad um, it's a big game probably the game that went under the radar but actually was really important Scholars and Rochdale no. well I was thinking <laughs> Thinking more maybe no, Dewsbury Doncaster, the two unbeaten teams. Yeah, um, listen to a bit of the commentary on radio. Big on that. Yeah, it sounded it was a tight game, six four. I listened to the back end of the first half and a bit of the second, uh, and I think they got a penalty try, Dewsbury, and um, I think that took it away from from Doncaster. And I think it was an interesting incident involving Brett Ferris and the ball and the referee. So I've not seen it, um, but it'd be interesting to see what happens if anything from that. Um, I hope not, because we praise Brett Ferris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because he, he had his 400th game, the, yeah. was it last week? As I say, I've not seen it, I was just listening to the commentary, but I think Juju's sort of pulled away in that game a little bit from But that's from a, big, yeah, a big win for Juju. Yeah, the two unbeaten sides weren't in the comp, but I think Juju play what Oldham away this week, so uh, I think Oldham are in third. Uh, they are. So it'll, it'll be a test for Juju, won't it, as in who they played last week and who they played this week to, to where they are in the comp. People who know far more than I say Liam Finn is one of these young coaches who some clubs should be looking at as their future coach depending on what division they're in yeah, it's, yeah. O- it's only the start of his coaching career he's well made, we jump he, on the bandwagon straight he's made, away he's made, he's made a great start good pedigree um, 
Hunslet beat Cornwall 54-10. Again, that was, was that close up to half-time as well? 12-10, uh, yeah. Yeah, Hunslet running away with it in the second half. I'm tempted to go to the reverse fixture with that, because I can get to Hunt, please, you know, so I might, I might go to that, just get some Cornwall content on the channel. Why not? Uh, and pretend they're Ottawa. 28-18 <laughs> for Oldham at Workington. And yeah, as mentioned, London Did, guess, did Oldham come from behind in that one as well? Uh, yes, 12-10. So, uh, first um, half of League One games are really yeah. worth watching. Got them on the tally. Um, <laughs> London Scholars 24, Rochdale Hornets 28. The Hornets ruining London's chance of a first win of the season. This week in League One, Doncaster versus the Scholars, Hunslet Workington, Midlands North Wales, Oldham Dunesbury, Rochdale Cornwall, all this Sunday. A word for um, Doncaster as well that I think bef- they're now trying to put games on before their home matches to re-engage with the community on the back of the World Cup and Bentley are taking their home game um, is it in the I can't remember if it's the Yorkshire competition or the, the NCL uh, but they are the curtain race to that Doncaster game it's and, and it's, in, in the national conference and it's great isn't it the, yeah. the community Absolutely, clubs get the yeah. chance to play and, and I yeah. think they had some Masters games on before and an under 13s game and York this last weekend had um Inclusion, so inclu- an inclusive. Well, I think they took it too far day. by having a rugby union. Come on, come on. <laughs> well, there are no. We don't need oh, to include rugby union. No, there are no LGBT rugby league teams. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but you know, the, the York Templars uh, rugby union LGBT team in, uh, in York versus Newcastle Ravens. Brilliant. Uh, and then they had a wheelchair sort of exhibition, I think, didn't they? And uh, and then the first team fixture. Uh, that's 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 when we're talking that's about an MG model. Yeah, but we're talking about events and days out. That's exactly, exactly what it should be. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if people got into the ground, they could go out and get back in. I'm hoping because if you're at York, you've got that ability to you know if it's a family day out and somebody Absolutely. doesn't want to spend all day watching rugby league, somebody can go swimming in the swimming pool or they can go shopping it's or coffee, whatever. Coffee shops, yeah, the so library, the libraries. Can never have enough books. Up, up the Roosters, because they beat uh, Warrington 108-24 in the uh, Super League, wheelchair Super League on Saturday. But a couple of new teams, uh, Bedford had their first training session, um, as, was it Rochdale as well, so uh, wheelchair is starting to gain the, momentum. The, what is, is it the first round, the, the qualifiers for the women's night, I don't really know yes. how to describe yes. it, um, but all the it's teams the expect uh, went through. Yes. Uh, Warrington with three wins in their group, York... St Helens, Leeds and Wigan. Then we joined by a mystery team. Leeds pushed all the way by Cardiff. Yeah, which is great to see. a mystery team. Yeah, they deserve to Um, Was that Leeds without Georgia Hay? Yeah, what's it all about? Got a very good offer from Gold Coast and took it. June 24th, the final state of the AJ Belstein. Everyone turn up and make it a bigger crowd than Sale Bit. That's all for but I, I, I don't know why some teams win the nines and some teams won't. But say, and to pick another bone with with York, um, when Liv Wood scored, if we Liv Laugh Wood, which is actually quite funny, but uh, also, it's one of these phrases. That you, you know, Liv Laugh Love, you never heard of that phrase? Over no. my head. It's chronic. Uh, the Challenge Cups round of six this week: Halifax and Helens via play, seven forty-five on Friday. I'll probably repeated at some point during the week, which is what I'll be watching. Um, I hope that uh, Ross off of Viaplay has not picked up any dancers from Eurovision to be doing pre-match. Especially <laughs> that Finland one. They were robbed. Um, I don't think there's any other rugby league to do with the Eurovision Song Contest. I, I didn't see a second of that. 
Big fan of Hulk. Came on. I loved it. Uh, Hulk out, Batley. Wait for I'm leave. looking forward to that actually because again, Batley with nothing to lose. Uh, yeah, Hulk Hulk have put everything into where they are at the moment, and actually they might be a good outside bet for maybe a Challenge Cup run. But Batley will test them. Mm. I'm thinking about yeah, I think I'm going to Batley uh, to win the cup because they're not going to get relegated. They both want Tico, so it, it all lines up. Um, Saturday. Catherine's Warrington has mentioned on the BBC Leeds versus Wigan, and on via play Salford versus Huddersfield. I think they're uh, they're heading for at least a sixteen thousand crowd at, at Headingley, and I think it looked great on the mm. telly. The two clubs with the best Challenge Cup records in terms of number of wins, a lot of history. If BBC want to put some footage out, there's plenty of Leeds Wigan. I reckon that Martin of Fire try from nineteen ninety four. Might just I think get it might open the program. <laughs> What about Barry McDermott sending off in 1999? <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Hunter Paul's on the question of sport this week. No, okay. not not Jamie. He's not on the <laughs> no. He's the most modern player that could find. Is he I don't know. No idea. Um, on Sunday, Castleford versus Hull in the Lee Radford derby, and York versus London in the Andrew Henderson derby. Who was yeah. at Castleford as well? Castleford Hull would be really interesting. Really interesting. Two teams with. Uh, See, I think Wakefield, and I'm not going to say Wakefield are going to throw it in against Lee, but I don't think they, they can't win anyway, so it doesn't matter. But Castle would have to go strong in that game mm-hmm. because they can't afford to lose the fans even further. Whereas, again, a whole team that are regenerating, yeah. you know, Cup might have come at the right time. Yeah. And with, with York playing London, there's one championship team mm-hmm. guaranteed in the next round. So if you can get through this round and get lucky with drawing York or London, you'd fancy time. your chances. Yeah. And suddenly you're one game away then from Wembley, aren't you? Uh, and what, what if they, and uh, we all know that there's no form in the semi-final. Uh, <laughs> what, what if they win? Do they have to forfeit the 1895 Cup if they get to the championship? I don't think anybody's thought about that. When did the schoolboys game go from 12 minutes aside to 80 minutes anyway? Because that seems to have changed. Presume yeah. that's kicking off about 7 o'clock at Wembley in the just, morning. Just a random question. Um, that's it, I think, isn't it? We've got back holiday next week. Really? There's a Monday in May? There's I'm there's no back holiday. Yeah, Monday after it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's it. Um, thanks for watching. Enjoy the, enjoy the week. Thanks, James. Fill the magazines out. It is. Buy it. It's there. Good holiday read. <laughs> Good bank holiday read. Yeah, and there's another one coming. Uh, so we'll see you next. And don't forget Martin Kellner's. Oh, Martin Kellner's book as well. There, from All Good Bookshop. So, some signed copies available downstairs. Are there? Is there one or two. One or two. Any other books out? Uh, well, there are other books. Yeah, out. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but Kevin Sinfield's got a book coming out. Is, is he off to lease to sign it? I think there is a signing before the St Helens game. If you're going. Club shop. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know if it had been officially announced or not. I don't know if I'd. No. Like, go, go, go meet Kevin Sinfield. And uh, say, what's he like when you head like Luke Dill? <laughs> I was crossing the street when I met the love of my life. I chased after her. Nothing would stand in my way. Not the dog walker, nor the hot dog vendor. Finally reaching her, I asked, What do you call that amazing smell? Um, it's Gate Flings. Gain Flings. My love had a name, but more importantly, it had a scent. Fall in love with Gain Flings. Seriously good scent. Try Gain Flings today with special savings at Family Dollar.